0: Lord Jesus Christ that you have washed our sin white as snow by your accomplished work and shed blood. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Last night we had the privilege of celebrating Christmas dinner in here. We've had it annually except for this last year where uh, a year ago because of the pandemic and last night it was very different as we could only have those that were part of our hub and coffees on and neighbors that live uh, in our building, be part of it as part of like a, a dinner that way. Um, it was a wonderful evening, and, and uh, so I want to thank like Victoria and Nicole who gave such great leadership to it and just did a wonderful job with so many volunteers from our church that came in and set up and served the dinner and cooked the dinner, and then people took down everything after and set up for this morning. Um, and then yesterday, uh, Trent and Amos, Amos who was in the drum uh, cage, whatever that thing is this morning. Um, and Trent uh, they led worship last night as Jesse is in quarantine and so they just took last night and did a marvelous job in leading us into God's presence. So I want to thank everyone for that last night. I don't know if you've ever felt alone completely and utterly alone. Maybe you feel alone because no one understands you. Maybe you feel alone because you feel as if no one knows what you're going through and you feel alone. Maybe it's because of family dynamics. Maybe it's the uniqueness of the situation you find yourself in with your family, children who are struggling, parents who aren't speaking, siblings who are in conflict. Maybe you feel alone because of your own relationship. Maybe you and your spouse aren't getting along well. Maybe you're in a dating relationship and things have gone awry, and you feel alone. Maybe you feel alone because of mental health, the pandemic has created a great deal of depression and anxiety amongst so many people. And maybe you felt like no one can understand me, no one can relate, and it's caused you to feel alone. Maybe because through the pandemic you've lost your job or it's shifted and you've had a great loss of financial income. And during this time, because so much of our identity is found in what we do, often the second question people ask, right, the first question is what your name is, the second question is what you do. And so when in that moment you don't do anything, you find yourself in this identity crisis, a place where you're unable to articulate what you do and you struggle. I remember a number of years ago, Pat Cayuga, just after God had saved her, was a part of our church family, still is, she was here serving last night, and, uh, and Pat had found out she had cancer. And what do you do? I remember thinking, God, how are you going to journey with her through this? I remember Jordan and Deanna when they, uh, when we found out, and we actually talked on the phone when they were in Mexico and in their 25th week of pregnancy, they gave birth to their daughter Bethany, and they sat there walking alongside of their daughter as she was passing away, in their arms, and you could feel alone. I remember last night as I had had a table of guys I was sitting with, and then I'd gone to another table. It was kind of after, and we were cleaning up, and I. Sat with one of the gentlemen that was there and I thanked him for coming and he said, no, no, thank you. He said, if I wasn't here tonight, I'd just be alone. Like I am every night. And one of the other guys at the table said, that's me too. And the one gentleman said this. He said, you know, I leave my TV on when I'm home. So it feels like I'm not by myself. And it feels like someone else is there with me. I just leave the TV on so that that's what I experience. And this morning, as I was preparing to come, a good friend of mine, who used to be part of our congregation here, and he and his wife are, are somewhere else now worshiping the Lord, but sent me a text because his dad yesterday suffered a massive stroke, godly man loves the not sorry, massive heart attack. Godly man loves the Lord, and they had to resuscitate his dad from the heart attack, but right now, they don't know if he'll ever regain brain activity. It's unknown. Will he wake up? What will this be like? And you can feel alone. I imagine that's how Joseph felt that first Christmas. I imagine Joseph felt incredibly alone. If you have your Bibles, Matthew 1, beginning at verse 18, the verses will be on the screen, whether they're on your tablet, on your phone, or in front of you in hard copy or there. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, before they had any union, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. I'd say this, though Joseph, Joseph was crushed, his love for God and compassion for Mary guided him to live righteously through his grief and pain. Matthew says that this is about the birth of Jesus, the Messiah. This is about the Messiah, the anointed one, the chosen one. This is the one of whom the entire scriptures up until of the Old Testament spoke of. This was of whom God had prophesied about that one day through the line of the woman someone would come the serpent would strike at his heel but he would crush his head. This is the Messiah the Christ Jesus. And he's about to show up in a way that no one expects. In a way that no one anticipates. I mean People assumed he was going to show up as king, royalty. He'd be born in a family of nobility, of great intellect. And he's born in this mess. So unexpected. People assumed he was going to rule Israel, usurp the authority of the Romans, and reinstate Israel as the nation that's most powerful on the planet. No one expected that he'd be born of this teenage girl, likely 15 maybe 16, and that's younger than most of us. And her husband, who maybe is just a couple years older. They're actually not husband and wife yet, they're engaged. And as this promise has been given that this Messiah will come, Mary, who's pledged to be married to Joseph, they're engaged, has had to tell her him that she's pregnant. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but imagine that moment. I mean, Joseph is convinced he's engaged to a godly woman. And she was so. God would not have chosen her if she wasn't. Joseph is convinced he's engaged to a godly woman. And now she's had to tell him that she's pregnant. I mean, imagine if you were a young man engaged to be married. And you know you've had no union with your fiance. And now she tells you she's pregnant. And then she says, it's God's son. I mean, not only has she told you that she's cheated on you, but now she has the audacity to blame God. He's heartbroken. I mean, he loves her. How could she cheat on him? Why would she do this? So often we miss this in the account of the nativity. But Joseph would be agonizingly heartbroken, distraught. And then to say it's God? God? Mary, what's wrong with you? He is a godly man. That's why it says in verse 19, he's faithful to the law. And he does not want to expose her to any public disgrace. He doesn't want to drag her name through the mud. And so he puts in mind to divorce her quietly. You see, in those days, if you were engaged to someone by Jewish custom and culture, it was a pledge, it was a covenant. I mean, they didn't just give a ring back. In fact, there were no rings. That came later on. And we could talk about diamonds later if you want, and rings and the whole conspiracy behind that and why it happens, why we have to have them and who makes the money off of all of that. But that's another story. There was no exchange of rings. That's not what occurred. But you did have to divorce the person you were pledged to be married to. You did actually have to dissolve it as a covenant that had to be dissolved. And so he's going to do it quietly. But it speaks of his anchor, doesn't it? He's faithful to the law. He's a righteous man. He's going to do so quietly. He doesn't want to disgrace her. His anchor is still God. In the midst of his mess, he still trusts God. Just like Pat did when she found out she had cancer. Just like Jordan and Deanna did when they were holding their young daughter and she was passing away. Just as my friend did this morning when he texted me and said, Would you pray for my dad and my family? They knew they had God. Verse 20, But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. What is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. You are to give him the name Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. God was providing a way, a way back to him, a way of salvation. And this way would be costly, 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 For Joseph and costly for God. An angel appears. The angel appears to Joseph in a dream and says, Joseph, son of David. Joseph of the line of King David. I bet you Joseph never heard that before. Joseph, you are of the line of the King David, the greatest king in all of Israel. It's through your line that the promise, his line, David's line, your line, that the promise has been made, that covenant has been created and crafted. And David, through David's line, I want you to know, Joseph, I am about to keep this promise, this covenant. So take Mary home as your wife. What is in her is from the Holy Spirit. Well, this is costly for him, because everybody does the math. I've had young couples, mainly non-Christian, whose family still home a form of, of of high ethics, and they get pregnant, and they're like, you know, call me and say, Dwayne, could you do a wedding like in two months so nobody knows? You know that we had sex when we weren't supposed to. I'm like, listen, guys. Like, I don't, I don't know if you don't know math or not. Like, I'm not sure, but like, if I marry you in two months and like you're like right now like eight weeks pregnant, and you have a baby that goes full term, everybody assumes something happened before you got married. And honestly, I've been with young couples. Like, really? Like, yes. Like, like, like really? You know, you really have two degrees anyway. And so. And I've been in this conversation. And, and, And so Mary and Joseph knew everybody could do the math. Joseph knew everybody would say this. I mean, can you imagine Mary and Joseph? They're not married. She's now pregnant. And now Joseph, whose parents think he's a godly man, and he was. Of course he was for God to choose him to be his earthly father. Everyone who thought Mary was a godly woman, and she was. They now have to tell their parents that they're pregnant. And how do they explain it? It's God's son? I mean, Joseph had an angel show up to reveal to him. Their parents would have. Everyone would have been talking. Imagine his parents, her parents. I mean, I don't know. It's not recorded for us, but the disappointment, the frustration. But Joseph knew this was God's way, and he was obedient to it. He was obedient to it. Don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because she's going to give birth to a son, Jesus. And he will save his people from his sins. You see, this was the only way. Because humanity sinned, humanity had to die. But because humanity could never in any way be able to absorb the wrath of God, someone else had to do it. So God came down. This is the beauty of it. I mean, this is why we know right here, life begins at conception. Jesus didn't show up. As a one-year-old or a five-year-old or a seven-year-old, for Jesus to be fully human, he was placed within a woman's womb. The greatest, I believe, theological argument there for life beginning at conception is right here the incarnation. And so God places his son, the Father, by the Spirit, places the son in a woman's womb, and he will save people from their sin. Is that not good news? Because there was no other way. Because only Jesus could do this. It would cost him everything. I mean, I don't know if you remember, for those of you that have done this, holding a newborn for the first time. I remember when Ethan was born, he was 10 pounds and two ounces. He was a big baby. And I held him. And I remember thinking, God, you did this for me. Jesus, you were this helpless for me. You had to be burped, you had to be changed, you had to be fed. You did this for me. You were this, the creator of the universe who spoke everything into existence and sustained it by his might and will, did this for me. He lived a sinless life. He never did anything wrong. He fulfilled the law in that everything the law spoke about the Messiah was fulfilled in Jesus, and he never did anything wrong ever, never sinned. But at the end of his life, he gave his life up for us. At the end of his life, the Bible says... He became our sin. And so he became our lying on the cross. He became our lust. He became our pride. He became our unforgiveness. He became all of our sin on the cross. And the wrath of the Father was poured out to him. So much so, as it was poured out on him, he cried out, God, why are you forsaking me? Why am I alone? And he went through an aloneness on the cross never any of us ever need experience. Because when he left, he said, what? I am with you always to the very end of the age he dies after giving up his spirit and three days later he's risen to life again by the power of the father because he's king of kings and lord of lords and sin and satan and death couldn't hold him down he's come to save us from our sin and it's going to cost him everything it's going to cost him everything I was driving Trent and Amos back to the university last night, we were talking and talking about some people that we know who, who want Jesus to fix part of their life, but they don't want him as Savior. They're in this financial traumatic situation, and they want Jesus to fix that situation. They want Jesus to fix their relationships. They want him to show up and just fix something, whatever that something is, fix that addiction, fix that problem. But Jesus as Savior He wants to enter into our lives and comprehensively and completely change and alter them. He wants into every ebb and crack and part of your body in every way that he sweeps through completely and changes us comprehensively so that we live for his glory and honor and good. He doesn't want a part of you. He wants all of you because he gave all of himself for you. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said to the prophet, this is Isaiah 7:14 quoted, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. You see, God's plan is the fulfillment of God's covenant and promise. And see, this is the problem. Some of us then go, oh, that's what I need. I need an angel. I need an angel to show up. You know, I've been a believer walking with the Lord and God wants me to do something. I need an angel to show up and tell me what to do. I'm like, what? Is that really what you think? Yeah, if an angel showed up, I'd I'd know for certain it was God. If an angel showed up like he did for Joseph or for Mary, I'd know certainly this is what I'm to do. And I'm like, no. Because you have someone better than an angel. You have God's spirit in you. If, If you're a believer today, God's spirit is in you. He is your counselor and your guide. You don't need an angel. You've got God. He is God with you. Is that not good news? God with us. He is Emmanuel, God with us, who then when he leaves, that's Jesus who was with us, leaves us his spirit who dwells in us. No angel is going to convince you to do something. God's spirit is in you to do so. God's spirit rests in you. God's spirit walks with you. God's spirit is there. Is that not good news? God is with you, first of the presence of Christ, and then the spirit granting us the presence of Christ because God is with us. And so I remember when I prayed for Pat years ago when she was about to go through cancer treatment, and she's very timid, Pat, and she asked if she could speak in front of the congregation as we went to lay hands on her and pray for her. She said, God's told me everything's going to be okay, and his okay isn't always my okay. And if his okay is that he's going uh, to heal me, I can't wait to serve him for many more years. And if he's okay, is, he's going to use this to call me home, I can't wait to see him. And he was Emmanuel, God with her. I remember interviewing Deanna a while after Bethany had passed away. And I remember it was hard. I mean, I, I, I took the funeral. And I remember Deanna saying in the interview that the one thing she had prayed as Bethany was passing away in her arms is that the joy that she had experienced that God had given her, this joyful personality that she has, that God would allow her to keep that even in the passing of her daughter. And God was with them with Jordan and Deanna. And Deanna, you still have that joy-filled spirit. God's granted it to you. Maybe because of, in spite of Jordan, I'm not sure, but you've got a joy-filled spirit. To the gentleman last night who said, I'm going home alone, I I said, you don't have to. What I shared tonight, the gospel, tonight you can know the Savior, tonight you can know the Lord. He wasn't ready yet. But you don't have to go home alone. You don't have to. You can go home knowing Jesus is Savior, the one who never leaves you, the one who never forsakes you, the one who is with you always to the very end of the age, the one who will grant you his spirit who will live and reside inside of you. You don't have to go home alone. Is that not great news? That is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the good news of the gospel is for anyone, anywhere, anytime, place who turns from whatever they have believed in, who turns from whatever they have trusted in, and turns to God, he welcomes them in as children, as sons and daughters. I mean, sometimes we're maybe in in a relationship where it's been broken and messy, maybe parents, maybe in-laws, maybe relatives or cousins, and we want to go and make amends, and we don't know how they're going to react. We don't know what they're going to say. With God, whenever you go to God, and you're turning from whatever it is you've trusted, turning from whatever it is you believed in, and you turn to him, you look to him, God never turns anyone away. Is that not good news? He never says No. He never tells you you've been too bad. He never says you're on the naughty list. All of us are on the naughty list. All of us need salvation. All of us equally deserve damnation. And God loves to save. That's why he sent Jesus. He delights in saving. He loves to save. Sandra, when we met, you may not remember this, but one of the things I so appreciated when we chatted, I'm just sharing your life now, um, is, is you talked about the need for friendship and And HCCF and God using them in your lives. And as you talked, you just talked about how, how in getting these friends, you got something so much better because you got God. The friend who will never leave you. The friend who will never forsake you. And I'm so thankful that so many of these good friends are here with you. But I'm so thankful that they pointed you to Jesus Christ. And that he is with you always to the very end of the age. That's what God does. So when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took Mary home as his wife. And they did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. Now there's an honorable man. He took Mary home as his wife and he said, we will not consummate this until the baby's born. That is will. And he gave him the name Jesus. Joseph just obediently followed God. You know you can trust God, right? Any God who would choose to do this for you, any God who would be born in this kind of a mess, any God who would take his deity and cloak it with humanity and live among us because he loves you that much, that God you can trust. And he loves to save people from his sin, from our sin. That's the good news of Christmas. So why the dinner last night? Why 300 hampers this week? Why is Kids Zone not just for our children, but for the children we're inviting in from the neighborhood and friends and family members? Why is our youth ministry not just for our teens, but for the teenagers that are their friends and the people that we're inviting in from the community and and from other families that are joining us? Why is the Hub and Coffee's on in existence for week after week? We come with people that are often struggling and marginalized and share the gospel with them because the answer to people's lives isn't just housing or food. The answer is Jesus Christ the Lord. He is the Savior, Emmanuel, God, with us. That's why. And unapologetically, we declare Him, the answer to the world is Jesus Christ. not saying it's always easy. Last night as I was sitting talking to one of the gentlemen that was here, he said, Pastor, he said, I need your help. I can't find anyone to do this. I said, what do you need my help with? He said, I have, I have a friend and uh, I'd, like to, I'd like to take a picture of him, but he's, he's dead. And I said, oh, like he's an urn, or like you want me to take an old picture and redo it? He said, no, 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 no. I'd like you to find someone that can, with their camera, take the picture, because he's in a grave, below the dirt, into the casket, and take a picture of his body now, because I'd like to see how he's doing. And I said, I don't think he's doing that well. He's dead. (laughs) Now, I didn't know. That may have been an awkward moment. Maybe that's not what I should have said. I didn't know what to say, to be honest. And. And then, and, then, and, then he, and then he's like, I just want to see how he looks. I said, I don't think that's a good idea at all. I don't think he's going to look that good either. And uh, he said, well, I've seen, you know, the process of mummification of mummies. I said, I think it's different. And then i was thinking to myself, where's Troy Smith when I need him? Like, he, was, he was, worked for funeral homes for years, did embalming. Like, I need someone to explain the embalming process because it's different than the mummification process. And I can't explain it. I don't know all of this. All I know is that you don't want a picture of your friend right now. But he was convinced he did. He was convinced I was wrong. The guys at the table were like, no, no, I'm sure we can get someone in this. I'm like, God bless you guys. I am not the right guy. I'm not helping you figure this out. And why do we want him to come to faith in Christ? I'm not saying that will change. He might come to faith in Christ and still want a picture of his friend. Because I believe that God loves that man and I believe that God wants to save that man. I mean, take a look at the, the, the book of Philippians, right? The church in Philippi, Acts 16. What happens in Acts 16. Paul and Silas end up in Philippi, first at the place of prayer where the Jewish people are gathering. They meet with Lydia. Lydia's there, the woman of purple cloth, a woman of great wealth, and she comes to faith in Christ. And her and her family believe, and they're baptized. And then they come across a slave girl who's able to predict the future because of the demonization. They free her from the demonization. And again, I believe then she follows Christ. They're thrown in jail for it. And as they're released from jail, but they don't escape, and the jailer goes to kill himself, Paul and Silas say, wait, we're still here. And he comes to faith in Christ with his family. And now what do you have when you start to read the book of Philippians that you know is in that church? Lydia, a woman of great wealth, businesswoman, astute, a slave girl, freed by the power of God, and a middle-class jailer. And all three of them in that church. And that's what we want. You see, the gospel is greater than any language or culture or custom or tribe or educational background or social economic status. The gospel is greater, and God longs to save people from every group from across the world and bring them together and say, this is my kingdom. It looks different than anything on the world, different than anything on the planet, because I am the Savior seeking and saving the lost. And did you hear? He's not just Emmanuel God with you. He's Emmanuel God with us. Us as a community, us together, us. He's Emmanuel God with us. Oh, I long that this year at Coffee's On in the Hub, at our youth ministry and children's ministry. Our engagement with HCCF and McMaster. Wouldn't it be amazing if this year we saw baptism after baptism after baptism out of our ministries of peoples whose lives were being transformed by Jesus, the Savior, our God? That is our prayer. From every background, from every culture, from every language, from every tribe. Regardless of their economic status, regardless of the mental health illness they're battling, regardless of what they find themselves in, so they would know they're no longer alone, but God is with them. And then they would meet a family that says, Hey, it's a little messy. It's not all neat and easy. And we're going to love you too. And we're going to love you too. Andrew, you and the team can come up. And so, as we close in song and we'll close together in this song, do you know Emmanuel, God, with us? Have you discovered Jesus, the Savior? Has he saved you? Maybe you're sitting in this room today and you've come and you're visiting us today. Or maybe you've been coming week after week after week for weeks and yet you haven't crossed that line of faith. You haven't yet repented of sin and trusted in Christ. Here's the good news. If today God's Spirit has spoken to you, if today He's touched you, today, even today, yes, this day, you can turn to Him and give your life to Him, and He would love to show you what it means that He is a Savior. Or maybe you've been walking with Him for years, and yet you've felt this loneliness time after time and time again. God is with you. God is with you. His Spirit is in you, He is your counselor. He is your guide and he loves you so much. So much that he wouldn't let death, Satan, having to take the wrath for our sin, stop him from being our savior. He would go to any length to save you, to save me. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. That's what Jesus has done. Would you pray with me? You are God and you are good. And Jesus, we don't deserve salvation like this. We just don't. And yet you have chosen to cloak your deity with humanity and come down and live among us and then die for our sin. We thank you that three days later, you, Emmanuel, God with us, Because you had never sinned, we're raised by your Father to life again, and we thank you that when you left, you granted us your Spirit, and Spirit, you are in us. And so God, for those of us that are here today that don't know you yet, oh God, may we turn our lives to you, you love us. And God, for those of us that are here that know you, may you remind us today that we are never alone. You are with us. We pray these things powerfully in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.